0: Welcome to the Infinite Worlds Podcast. Yo, kids, this is Nick the Tooth, and today I am joined by my co-host and publisher of the Infinite Worlds Magazine, Winston Ward. Dude, what's going on, man? How are you doing?
1: Oh, man. This has got to be one of the longest and most stressful weeks in my entire life. But, you know, I'm in good health. What's going on now? I had the release of issue four this week. I also had a re-release of issue two. The printer delayed both shipments, so they ended up arriving at the same time, so I had to process 2,500 magazines all at once, days before I was supposed to move out of my house. Oh, my gosh. I'm not complaining so much as I'm just explaining, because in the end, all of the stress is elevating me. It's stress towards a good end
0: as for me i just started last week i jumped in the van listeners know i've been working on this van for three four months now and so i'm like okay first stop on this tour which is going to go all the way up the coast of california pacific coast highway surfing and recording and all that madness and then go up to oregon I think maybe up to Washington, maybe not, but then across to Idaho, Wyoming, Montana. I've never seen any of that. If anyone out there or Winston, if you have any idea what I should see besides the world's biggest ball of
1: twine. Let me know. you ready to talk some War of the Worlds? man i am ready to talk some war of the worlds i've just finished the book again watched the 50s movie been reading about it online there's a lot of themes to hit on so i'm really excited to process this one
0: yeah i listened to the audiobook and i talk about it in the uh the episode but i definitely recommend anyone out there it's free check it out really really good blew my mind
1: cool man let's let's dig into this all right let's do it I think a lot of people aren't going to get a little less hyped for it because I don't think the War of the Worlds has quite the mainstream appeal that some of the other topics we've hit on do. You know, we did Star Wars and we did dune which you know has more of a cult following but has a movie coming out really soon so there's a renewing interest in that and we did blade runner and a few other things that have pretty strong fanatical fans and i don't really think that's true of the war of the worlds yeah but it's just such an important work and especially considering its time that i just feel like we couldn't get too far into recording this podcast without hitting on it for a number of reasons
0: Yeah, and and what's crazy is I'm one of those non-believers where I'm just like, oh, War of the Worlds. I'm like, okay, I'm going to trust you, Winston. There's got to be something to this for you to suggest it. And I listened to the audiobook, and at first, you know, any kind of writing, the book was written in the 1800s. Most writing that I encounter, like old writing, just tends to be bad. I mean, it's just not very tight. It's just, and this was written so well. I couldn't even believe it. I was so engaged with the writing.
1: Absolutely. It was one of those books that I read in high school, I think maybe for an extra credit type situation, and I just blazed through it so that I could pass the quiz that was associated with it. But I didn't really read it. I picked it up again. I bought a really cheap print of it online. And just like you, man, I started reading it and the imagery, the language was just way, way better than I had anticipated. Yeah. Really, this story is crazy exciting. And that's the thing that really blew me away is that when you see the Hollywood remakes of it, of course, that's going to be exciting because it's a Hollywood film. You know, they're going to do whatever it takes to make it exciting. But the book itself is immediately packed with action. Like in the first couple of chapters, it's immediately mayhem and it reads great. It's a fun read. It's a fast read. You do have to get a spend a little time getting used to reading language that was written in the 19th century so it does take a little bit of that especially for someone who's not used to it the reason
0: i really recommend the audiobook was because the version that i had listened to was narrated by a man with a british accent oh yeah it fit the language
1: yeah it's more natural
0: that way yeah it was very very natural i didn't read it i listened to it and that accent just was like wait a minute this is actually dope man yeah it was really cool Mm. man really cool
1: well, let's, I guess, you know, like most episodes, let's start with a little bit of history of the subject. That's cool. Let's hear it. The War of the Worlds was written by H.G. Wells, who was famous for a number of other subsequent science fiction books. The Time Machine, I think, was probably his other most famous book. And it was written between 1895 and 1897, so almost at the uh, turn of the 20th century. And it was serialized before it was published. Published as a novel in Pearson's magazine in the UK and Cosmopolitan in the United States, because apparently Cosmopolitan used to have radically different publishing. (laughs) I don't think they probably fit their serialized War of the Worlds between their quizzes about how to give the best oral sex. Maybe that's what they were doing back then, too. I don't know. I wasn't around then. I don't own any Cosmos from the 1890s. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But they don't print sci-fi magazines anymore. So at some point, some editor took over and goes, guys, I think we're going to have to change the vibe of this magazine <laughs> a little bit. But Yeah.
0: But that is crazy to think that in serializing, you know, War of the Worlds, I mean, they introduced it to the world. Cosmopolitan. That's crazy. Mm. Yep. Wow.
1: Cosmopolitan magazine. Yeah. You know, in 1898, it was compiled as a hardcover and released by William Heinemann of London. That's a publisher. And, uh, since then, since 1898, 122 years ago, it has never been out of print. Wow. And that, that's not something you can say about a lot of books. And there's probably a few dozen books that exist that have stayed in print for a hundred plus years continuously. That's a huge accomplishment all by itself. Mm. And it's been adapted a bunch of times. It's been adapted into six movies, two which are worth a damn and several like straight to video type situations. A couple of T V shows, several comic book adaptations, and a bunch of sequels and spin-offs and works set in the same universe written by other authors over the preceding hundred years. And it was also very famously dramatized as a radio play by Orson Welles. And when did that happen, the the Orson Welles? It was in 1938. Holy shit. That's Orson Welles pre-Citizen Kane.
0: Yeah, but you know what's crazy about that, Winston, is that's almost half a century after the damn thing was written. Holy shit, talk about
1: legs. It's a teleplay, so they adapted it for the radio. And even then, it was 40 years later, so it was considered a modernization of the thing. But by our standards, of course, we look at every version that's come out 16 years after that. The 50s film came out, and that was considered another modernization of it. It's just funny how the lens of history makes those things seem so old fashioned so quickly. But you're right, man. Legs for days. It just stays in the social mindset in our collective consciousness. And I think there's a lot of reasons, obvious reasons, I'd say why it does that. One, because it's really the first famous work about an alien invasion, about mankind having a conflict with an extraterrestrial species. And because it's the first famous book like that, it sets the standard for all books about alien invasion that come after that. And that's a pretty large chunk of science fiction. Yeah, right? Yeah. Even if you're not a science fiction fan as, like, the whole genre as a whole aliens and alien invasion has its own sub-genre which has an intensely popular following and the way aliens look has changed a lot over the years and how they're you know depicted but the way the martians appear and the technology they use is even now even now reading this book in 2020 again is horrifying it is terrifying how scary these aliens are i can't even imagine how scary it was to somebody in 1898 who'd never even considered the idea of alien invasion because it, it doesn't exist in the social consciousness. You know, you read the book. How violent is this book?
0: Oh, it's so gnarly. That's what I love about it. People are getting boiled. and <laughs> yeah.
1: People are being picked up by tentacles and crushed against trees and the, the black smoke emitters choking everybody to death and the heat rays. Oh my God, the heat ray. It's in, like, the, I think the third or fourth chapter. They're very short chapters. It's like a page and a half or two pages. The third or fourth chapter is called the Heat Ray, and it's just about just what it sounds. The aliens show up, put on their tripods, and start melting people with their heat rays. And it is disturbingly graphic, man. Just people standing around gawking at the crater, and then suddenly they're ash- It's hard to imagine like this is before the horrors of World War One, before the horrors of World War Two, before Vietnam, before 9-11, before all those awful things that people have in their minds these days because they've watched television before television.
0: And that's a really good point is that, you know, one of the prime, the novel at that point was one of the primary forms or if not the primary form of mass entertainment. I mean, we didn't have television, you know, that's right.
1: That's right. And there was hardly even you could get phonographs, but those were really for wealthy people. Yeah. And, you know, there were, I think, six recordings at that point. You could choose between five operas and racist minstrel show. No,
0: it's at, at that point, like the novel was the iPhone. That's right. <laughs> it, was yeah, like, it was exactly it's portable entertainment that you could take anywhere. So you're right. There were probably so many people that are reading this just going, oh, my gosh, and not having no exposure. To these things, almost believing it. I mean, think about how people believe everything on the internet now anyways. Absolutely. There had to be so many people that were just almost PTSD from freaking uh, reading this book because it was it is gory. And that's one of the things I loved about it.
1: Well, that's one of the wonders to me of science fiction is that because the storyline is supposed to be carried on the back of scientific ideals, everything is plausible. And that makes something a lot scarier to me when Mm -hmm. it could happen. Like serial killer stuff in a way. That's scary because there are serial killers and you know there are serial killers and you know they could get you. And science fiction is the same way because you know science is going to come out with some crazy shit and... It's going to change the reality that you live in completely, and it could end up being some scary shit like yeah. the atom bomb and a million other examples of stuff that technology created and science created that made the world scarier. God,
0: it's crazy. It's crazy. One of the things that, that as far as H.G. Wells, it blew me away was the fact that he is called and has earned the moniker of being the father of science fiction. That's right. And when, when I looked at it, he wrote Time Machine, Island of Dr. Moreau. Mm-hmm. Island of Dr. Moreau mm-hmm. is one of the coolest freaking stories ever. I could not agree it's with you more. so cool, man. I mean, you could just redo that as a movie every freaking three years, and it could be just all these different takes you can have on it, especially
1: today with CRISPR, genomic editing, and all that. Oh, man. It's more relevant than ever. before H.G. Wells. Science fiction didn't really exist. There was no such thing. There had been works that you could call science fiction. Most notably is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, who is the mother of science fiction. Frankenstein was written in 1819. Yeah, so quite a bit before this, but it had not caught on as a genre. It still took place before the technological revolution. Yeah, Yeah, it was written before that. So it wasn't until technology started really, really changing life, like electric lights, motor cars, and that kind of thing when the advances of science became obvious in normal people's lives that science fiction really took off. So he was the one who really hit the zeitgeist right in stride and was writing all the right things at the right time. And the subjects that he touched on, Alien Invasion was the first to do it or the first to do it popularly. Time machine, time travel. He was the first to discuss time travel in popular culture.
0: You're right. Alien Invasion and time travel, they're comprised 80% of science fiction. Yeah. No doubt.
1: Genetic modification. He wrote that book around the turn of the 20th century as well. And it's about genetic modification. And that is more relevant now than it was 100 years ago, 120 years ago. Totally. He was also trained as a biologist from what I read. That's right. That's right. Having a scientific background. And at the time, science was... A pretty blunt instrument compared to what it is now but he had a scientific mind above you know most of his literary peers mm-hmm. and because of that he was able to use those ideas that he learned through the advancements of science in his literature and he was really the first scientist slash science fiction writer others came along isaac asimov is probably the most notable example and arthur c Clarke, guys that were mm-hmm. real-time scientists and also writers, but he was the first. So he really is the OG in so many ways. Insane. And there's one other thing about him, especially about this book that I think makes him an OG. And this is really what I want to be the crux of our conversation today. A lot of people speculated about what the book meant when it came out, like what it was supposed to mean. Was it about technology? Was it about this? Or was it about that? But he went on record himself as saying that the plot of the book came from a discussion that he had with his brother Frank about British imperial treatment of native Tasmanians during the settling of Tasmania by the British in the late 1800s. So it's literally social commentary on imperialism. And the first most famous book of its kind once again sets the standard for the nature of science fiction by immediately leaning into the idea of social justice. And on my Instagram, I will often try my best to be socially conscious, you know, and try my best to listen to new ideas, to be quiet when somebody who is marginalized is speaking do those kinds of things the best I can. But you have no idea how much pushback you get from insecure people who hear that and say to me, with no sense of irony at all, to keep politics out of science fiction. (laughs) I mean, can you believe that? How can you possibly read science fiction without reading the politics of it?
0: Everything we've covered has from Vonnegut to Dune, it's all politics. It's all politically driven.
1: It's about trying to do the right thing, usually, too. It's not even just about trying to instill some political idea in someone's head as much as it is about look, we make all these terrible mistakes as a species, we could be doing better by the earth and by one another. And it's an idea that's been present since the beginning of the genre. And I think the reason I wanted to point that out the most is because in every episode so far, we've mentioned this at least a little bit. I felt like it was possible that people were listening to us thinking, oh, they're reading their own message into that. They're projecting their own mindsets into their analysis of these works. And I'm telling you guys right now, I'm reading HG Wells actual explanation of the book to you from 120 whatever years ago. This isn't me reading my opinions or my ideals or my assumptions. This is really what this book is about. No,
0: I, I mean, and when you told me that before I started listening to the audiobook, I was like, okay, well, there's some depth here. I didn't realize there was a depth. Right. Dude, within the first two chapters, he talks about Tasmania, and, you know, I mean, it is absolutely front. And center of the book. He brings it up immediately. Hey, this is just like this and this and this, you know, in Tasmania and the way we treated them. I think one of the most important things
1: about that is it shouldn't have to be front and center. We should be able to subtly say these things in artistic works and people should be able to read it. But this goes back to our discussion about critical thinking in the last episode or the episode before that about how people are. Underprepared to utilize critical thinking skills in America, especially, but in other parts of the world as well.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, it's something you have to learn. I don't think it's
1: innate. No, absolutely, it's definitely a process of learning, but it's not really taught in schools, in public schools, I and uh, you know, and we've we've, know. Just, we've covered all this before. So, apologies if it sounds like we're just repeating ourselves all the time.
0: I remember I took my first critical thinking philosophy class in college, and I was like, holy shit. How did i not learn this in school this is elementary but it's so important so anyways yeah let's go on from there yeah yeah you, you know it's one of the really interesting things talking about tasmania and the whole alien invasion genre and being a metaphor for our invasion of other countries or the imperialism etc cetera, etc cetera, is you know you kind of think okay well we are more evolved we wouldn't be like that mm-hmm. now but i always think if we get to a new planet a habitable planet in the goldilocks zone what are the odds that the creatures we encounter they're going to be organized to the extent that we are there's probably a high likelihood that they wouldn't they would have creatures that might be able to at least communicate amongst themselves and then i'm like well how would we treat them then i go well fuck, look at dolphins we have reports that they have greater communication skills than we even thought before yep. and we knew they could communicate Yet we slaughter them. We don't give a shit. These are sentient creatures who have high levels of intelligence and have emotions and bond with their young. And we just fucking slaughter them.
1: There's a meme going around right now on Instagram and it says something to the effect of, I think the reason people are so afraid of alien invasion is because they are afraid that aliens will treat us the way we treat animals. And in a way, that's true. But it goes so much further than that because it's also the way we treat other human beings. It's not even just animals. Yes, we subjugate animals, but we absolutely subjugate other people as well.
0: Yeah. We kneel on their necks and <laughs> we know they can't breathe because they tell us again and again and again. Yep. And we continue to do it and it happens everywhere and we're only starting to really acknowledge it because we have cell phones. That's it. It's been going on forever, you know?
1: Some of us see that and are rightfully disgusted and shocked and dismayed and, you know, want to see change. But then there are so many other people that are part of the same species who their only reaction to that is serves them right. Yeah, or,
0: serves them right for living in the ghetto, serves them right for whatever it is. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. They should obey the law or whatever excuse they make up for themselves to allow these things to happen because they are OK with the human race being brutal and unjust and unjust. And evil alien invaders, really. We're the Martians, and that's just all there is to it.
0: We're gonna subjugate these people, these other people, and we don't give a shit. <laughs> it doesn't matter
1: somebody has to be subjugated because that's just in our human nature. And I don't think it really is human nature. It's just learned behavior through generation after generation after generation. But it's just the way it's been. Isn't that
0: crazy? I, I listened to this, uh, I, I read this read or listen, I don't remember, but they were talking about how, and maybe it was Christopher Columbus when he had come over was it Queen Isabella who had uh, financed his... That sounds right. Anyways, yeah, I'm going to make a lot of shit up here.
1: But... <laughs> you can be a little loosey-goosey on 600-year-old history, it's fine. Exactly. And
0: so she told him, I do not want these people treated badly because they are God's creatures like us. She said, unless they're cannibals. And so he came back after the next tour. He goes, yeah, they're cannibals. They eat each other all the time. They weren't. And she's like, okay, well then we need to subjugate them. And that just paved the way. It's just like, just give us an excuse. Even her. Even she was like, just give me an excuse. Any excuse. And he gave her the excuse for us to just trample, slave and just genocide, rape, and whatever. I think that that is something that's even happening
1: now. Any difference. And see, people started making up differences. Here's a, an invisible line in the sand that says the people on that side are okay to subject and the people on this side are not. Unless they're a different skin tone or poor or some other difference that we could bring into action as soon as we decide we want to subjugate them. Ladies and gentlemen, the director of the Mercury Theatre and star of these broadcasts, Orson Welles. We
0: know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's, and yet as mortal as his own. We know now that as human beings busied themselves about their various concerns, they were scrutinized and studied... Perhaps almost as narrowly as a man with a microscope might scrutinize the transient creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. The thing that is so relevant for today about War of the Worlds, for me at least, is this broadcast that Orson Welles did. It's almost like an internet hoax that goes on today like fake news. That's exactly what it was, right? Tell me about that. What the hell happened?
1: This was a radio play that was broadcast on Sunday, October 30th, 1938. It was a Halloween episode, the day before Halloween, on the Mercury Theater on the Air, which was a CBS radio broadcast. And it was narrated by Orson Welles. He was in his early 20s at the time, I think 23, 22, 23. And supposedly, about halfway through the show, somebody in the studio started getting calls that their broadcast was inciting panic in the streets and people were going berserk because of this. There's a little bit of skepticism about exactly how much panic was actually created and how much of it was to hype the episode, but it is a fact that at least some panic was created. There was at least some. The fact is, the show wasn't widely listened to. That particular program was, didn't have the biggest audience, even for radio at the time. So the level to which people panicked in the streets is disputed. But there definitely was some level of panic. And okay. the studio did actually receive calls. But Yes, the idea that it was like an internet hoax is exactly right and it's how a lot of those internet hoaxes go the person who created it wasn't intending to actually necessarily try to trick people into believing something they just created some troll image Mm -hmm. and somebody else misrepresented it as fact
0: okay in what respect what do you mean
1: like for example a great example of this is how the onion will put out satire articles and then they'll end up on Fox News being broadcast as actual news because the spin of that headline is good ratings for Fox News. I can't think of a specific example off the top of my head, but you can Google Fox News The Onion. They've done it at least a half a dozen times. I mean, I'm sure CNN and the other ones have too. I'm not just picking on Fox News, but they're the most flagrant foulers for sure. And I don't think that Orson Welles and the crew at CBS Radio were attempting to trick people into believing that there was an alien invasion. I just think they did such a convincing performance that somebody who missed the intro to the episode and just turned in and just heard alien noises and panic on the radio without waiting to see what else happened. We're just like, oh, shit, I'm listening to the radio right now and there are buildings being melted by aliens, so we better split, which is, in a way, a natural reaction. And at the time, there wasn't a little notation underneath the radio broadcast that said, this article or radio broadcast may contain information that is not entirely factual. You should double check. And you couldn't get on the internet. You couldn't ask a neighbor. They wouldn't know any better than you did. You know, what's really funny is, in a way, we fine-tuned our ability to disseminate information but in another way it's just created a larger avenue for misinformation so now this kind of thing happens all the time
0: yeah even more which is crazy huh
1: yeah it's become a normal part of life i guess that's another thing we can thank hg wells for oh by the way i meant to mention this earlier but hg wells and orson wells aren't related in case anybody was wondering that, their names are spelled differently. So if you hear Wells and Wells, you might have made that connection, but they're not related.
0: Well, you know what's crazy today with the whole internet hoaxes thing is how they get woven together into a cohesive, overarching narrative. I had someone who broke it down, how the conspiracies work, because he really believed it. Did I break
1: this down for you yet? No, but I'm really curious about this. Are you sure? You, yeah. That's you ready right. for this? Okay. No, totally. So
0: here's what's going on right now with the whole panel. Pandemic. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because in War of the Worlds, I remember being in school and studying the social phenomenon of people believing in things that aren't necessarily true and how there was a farmer or farmers that went out with their shotguns and shot at water towers because they thought this is it. This is the big tentacle alien walking along the horizon. Right. So now I was thinking about 5G towers, but he's like, dude, here's, what, here's what's really going on. chemtrails are being sprayed in the sky to implant metals into our body okay right so now what happens then is these 5g towers they activate the metals and make people go crazy right oh, and so that explains all the craziness exactly also bill gates funded the wuhan lab that released the virus And these things are
1: all he does have he does have a lot of money so you know that right? that holds that holds water i guess and
0: this shutdown was meant to drain all the savings of workers making them dependent on the government
1: oh um, that also that that explains White. Well, that really doesn't explain why the government's sending everybody a bunch of money. Shit. It doesn't, right? We'll just gloss over that part. It's fine. Right. Bill Gates
0: also funded the COVID vaccine that's about to come out. They already have the vaccine. They just haven't released it yet.
1: Oh, well, yeah, I'm sure they had it in waiting since it was all manufactured, of course. And
0: this vaccine requires, when you get the injection, it requires a chip that they insert into your body. You're not even aware of it. That contains the mark of the beast.
1: Oh, I thought all vaccines contained that, but I guess they were just waiting to roll that out. No, this special one. Okay, 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 all right. All now,
0: right. this will allow the New World Order Illuminati to take over. Okay. And the Illuminati is empowered. They have,
1: been, they have been waiting to do that for a very
0: long time. <laughs> they have been. It's now time. It's D-Day. Okay. Finally. This Illuminati takeover is empowered by the Hillary Clinton Epstein pedophile ring. Ah,
1: hmm And that- So it's like a beyond the grave kind of situation here yeah, for Epstein? Okay. All right. Did he really kill himself? He's not really dead. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. He's not dead. Sure, sure, sure. sure. Come on, bro. And so
0: this pedophile ring fuels the dark rituals, which they're using to evoke Satan.
1: I was wondering when Satan would get in the mix here because, you know, the Mark of the Beast, I was like, okay, it's coming.
0: <laughs> it's coming. It's coming, right? For the apocalypse wherein Satan's war over humanity's free will shall be waged. Mm. And then when that happens, when the apocalypse breaks out and it's just full scale war. The wealthy are going to retreat into the already existing underground cities.
1: They're already there. They're already there. They've been there. Are they furnished?
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. They're luxurious. They're paved in gold. It's It's just utopia.
1: Rich people are just like, fuck the sky. Yeah, exactly.
0: So anyways, that's what's really
1: happening in case you're wondering and you wake up. (laughs) After using my critical thinking skills to examine that whole story, I can't find any fault. (laughs) I know. That is flawless logic and I won't speculate it on any further. And I just believe I'm going to swallow it whole is what I'm going to
0: do. Isn't it crazy too that, We really haven't come that far. When you listen to War of the Worlds and you, you know, you hear about the radio broadcasts, it's like we haven't changed at all. We're shooting at water towers still.
1: Here's my conspiracy theory. I think that's intentional that we haven't come far. And I think there's a lot of work that goes into keeping people from going that far, from learning and becoming critical thinkers. And the suppression of that thought is the one conspiracy theory that I truly believe in, that there is a worldwide conspiracy by the wealthy to keep poor people ignorant and superstitious and stupid. Yeah. And I think they're doing a fantastic job. (laughs) Are you too? Really, A++, A++, y'all. If there's a new world order or World Bank or whoever it is behind all this evil, they did do that really well. They made sure people stayed dumb. I
0: mean, look at what's happening with Mitch McConnell and the GOP in the United States where they're debating the next round of stimulus and the economy is Faltering, It is absolutely needing this stimulus. And they're just like, we're not going to help workers anymore because we want them to go back to work no matter how dangerous it is. They're like, we don't care. Go back to work. They just submitted a brief to the Supreme Court to invalidate Obamacare and take health care away from 20 million people. In the midst of a global pandemic, in the midst of a global pandemic, 20 million people will be stripped. Now, mind you, all the people that have lost their jobs, have also lost their healthcare. They may be getting unemployment, but they don't have fucking healthcare.
1: I don't have healthcare and as an adult, I might've had healthcare for all of one year. And so I am really super fortunate that I haven't fallen ill during any of that time the lack of healthcare in this country and the way it's run is absolutely intentional.
0: Yeah, you want to talk about a conspiracy, richest country in the history of the world, the only industrialized country in the entire world without socialized medicine, and yet when you turn on the news for the past 20, 30 years, all they would talk about was how socialized medicine is bad.
1: It's communism, it's socialism, whatever that means. My
0: daughter lives in the UK, she loves her healthcare. There
1: are almost no examples of people in other countries that have universal health care that are envying the healthcare in the United States.
0: <laughs> no, if you're wealthy, it's great here. If you're not, you're Yeah, if
1: you're a really wealthy person from another country and you're like, well, if I'm going to have to go outside of the regular government channels and spend my own personal money, I am going to go to America because they may or may not have the best treatment for whatever specific thing I'm dealing with. I mean, the Mayo Clinic is in America and that's a great facility and there are other great facilities in the U.S. It's
0: really just about the amount of people in the country that don't have access to that.
1: Whereas in other countries, you
0: know, you break your arm, you're not going to go bankrupt. In this country, you break your arm, go to the doctor, all of a sudden you got a $15,000 bill. That's right.
1: And you know, who, who, who can pay off a car they can't drive or will never even get, never see, or you know, 15 grand. What is that? The down payment on a house? Yeah, it's crazy. No regular person can afford that. And what's the weirdest thing about all of this is that there are so many people who can't afford it, who ha- will never in their entire lives be able to afford that, who still fiercely believe that they should be saddled with the responsibility of that because otherwise it would be communism or otherwise it would be socialism. That's right. It's the American way to be taken advantage of by the wealthy.
0: That's exactly what it is. It's the American way and it makes you feel
1: independent. One day in their dreams, they'll be rich enough so that they can push around the little guy.
0: That is actually the crux of it because there's this myth that if you work hard enough, you're going to become the 1%. And so, yeah, why fight for those rights now? You're not gonna need them because you're gonna be part of the 1% next year.
1: Exactly. All those little office workers that used to live in these houses, they'd be no good. They haven't any stuff in them. They used to run, run off to work. I've seen hundreds of them running to catch their commuters train in
0: the morning, afraid they could can if they didn't, running back at night, afraid they wouldn't be in time for dinner. Lives insured and a little invested in case of accidents. Yeah, and on Sundays, worried about the hereafter. Well, the Martians, they'll be a godsend for those guys. Nice roomy cages, good food, careful breeding, no worries. Yeah, After a week or so of chasing around the fields on empty stomachs, they'll come and be glad to be caught. You've thought it all out, haven't you? So anyways, after the radio show, there was a movie that came out, right? And I did not see that, but it
1: was the 53 movie. Did you watch it? Oh, yeah, I've seen it a couple of times now, and it is absolutely outstanding. It is one of the early color science fiction films real bright technicolor they kind of changed some of the plot details up they modernized it again they moved the plot to sunny california the aliens were no longer in tripods they were in flying machines but they also had heat rays still it's a pretty great movie actually it's got a lot of hokey 50 b movie qualities to it but it's also got a lot of really redeeming qualities to it it was 1953 directed by brian Haskin. It's kind of stands the test of time, honestly. I, I recommend it. You guys want to watch a cool throwback-style sci-fi movie? That's definitely one I recommend that. There are other ones The Day the Earth Stood Still. But if you're watching a 50 sci-fi flick, you could do worse, for sure. I'll give it the thumbs up. Really? It's got some real classic film scratch, laser beam effects. <laughs> yeah. And I like practical effects. So I, I think that's pretty cool.
0: No, I dig that, too, man. I'm going to have to check that out. And so there was the 53 movie. And then after that, there were some other VHS-type movies.
1: Yeah, I've never seen any of those, so I can't can't be the judge of those but I looked them all up and none of them are rated especially well none of them look like they're worth a damn I would have tried to watch them at some point but I wasn't able to find any of them anywhere so if any of you fans out there have seen any of those straight to VHS, straight to DVD or whatever they were released on, tell us in the comments man, tell us how they were, very curious to know what those were like.
0: Last night I watched the Steven Spielberg Tom Cruise 2005 War of the Worlds.
1: I also think that's a pretty good movie too, it's a pretty different version of the movie they modernized it a whole lot but in the end the plot's pretty similar I actually think it's pretty good. It's a Steven Spielberg slash Tom Cruise movie. So in a way, you kind of know what to expect. I
0: was struck by how it was very disaster porn. Like Roland Emmerich, didn't he do those end of the world movies, right? 2012
1: and San Andreas. It
0: was interesting because there are two prongs of the movie. So you have this external event that happens where there's this invasion. But before that, you have this setup with the character where you get to see his flaws. And he was like a man child and a shitty dad dad and wasn't close with his ex-wife and just was very immature. And his ex-wife drops off the kids. And one of them is Dakota Fanning and she's really young. She's freaking amazing by the way. She should have gotten an Oscar for this. She continues
1: to be really good in my opinion. Uh
0: yeah she's amazing and so the ex-wife drops off dakota fanning and then their teenage son there's total static between tom cruise and the teenage son and anyways it's this emotional setup where he's gonna go on this hero's journey where he basically becomes a man and so that's the emotional journey as he's trying to keep his kids together and keep them safe during this crazy 2012 end of the world apocalyptic shit that just happens one thing after another after another after another so it wasn't really for me a very cerebral movie i enjoyed it but the end of it i was just like what was
1: that remind us again of what happens at the end of that one so spoiler alert (laughs) 15 years ago if you guys haven't seen it by now that's on that's on you sorry
0: He just goes from one crisis after another crisis and some of them, some character decisions are pretty inexplicable. like there was an instance where during all this calamity at night, he's separated from the daughter. she's like across this field and people are running everywhere and she's young. you know she's probably like eight years old, nine years old. and so she's very dependent on him. but the son, there are military troops that are fighting the aliens and the son wants to join and go see and he's running off and Tom Cruise tackles him and he's holding him and he's like, don't go, don't go, don't go. And while he's looking across the field, Dakota Fanning is talking with this couple that are trying to take Dakota Fanning because she's so young, they're trying to save her. And she's like, no, 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 my dad, my dad. And so Tom Cruise is put in a situation in which he must make a decision between allowing his teenage son, kind of a metaphor for go off and become a man, right? and leave and and go back and save his daughter because he can't choose both he either has to go save the daughter before she gets taken by this family and he never sees her again so he has to have this emotional okay I'm going to be a real parent and let you go the movie is
1: filled with those emotional type metaphors which was interesting not so much the book itself the book is definitely more towards the disaster porn style for sure yeah
0: and then so the son leaves and then he and Dakota Fanning end up in a basement with Tim Robbins and these aliens come in and they gotta evade the aliens, you know, just one crisis after another and then all of a sudden they come out of, of hiding wherever they are the next day and he's looking down and there's ashes everywhere and they realize that the aliens no longer have their shields and then they're vulnerable and then the military kills them and that's the end of the movie and you're just like what? It's so out of nowhere that they then have to give title cards that explain the ending because it just ends and the title cards are like humanity earned its immunity from colds and flus and viruses over millions and millions of years and billions of our predecessors paid with their lives so that we have this immunity right right so it kind of goes back to this hg wells biology training where this is all about survival of the fittest they came here right we have immunity from these diseases they didn't right and they got infected and they died and it's just like
1: What? (laughs) I'm pretty sure that is the end of the book as well, right? I mean, yeah, I just read it. Yes. But I think that's how they ended the original film as well.
0: I felt like they should have been intercutting with scientists that were figuring out they may not have this and then engineered something that Tom Cruise could have delivered. I hate to be like that, but you know what? He was an active protagonist in the sense that he was surviving crisis after crisis that were thrust upon him. But there was no, this is the response to this alien invasion. And this is how we beat them. It may be corny, but I at least kind of wanted that and not having that. I was kind of disappointed, man. I really, I'm such a big fan of Independence Day. I thought that was such a cool popcorn flick, you know, with Will Smith. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I still think so. Yeah, and so much of it involved, you know, yes, he had his own character flaws and all that, but he became involved with the end result. Anyways, that's for me. While I thought the movie was cool, I was just disappointed because it felt kind of shallow in that respect.
1: There's a great screen rant article that just says, Steven Spielberg admits war the world ending doesn't make sense. (laughs) You know, it kind of goes back to H.G. Wells' original. Yeah, that, that'll that wrap it up. <laughs> but to me, the whole thing about it, them all dying instantly from the cold, it kind of, there's another movie that really smacks of poorly thought out, overly abrupt ending. Have you ever seen Signs?
0: I felt like when I was watching War of the Worlds, it reminded me exactly of Signs, because there's that point when they were in that basement with Tim Robbins, it felt like the same damn movie.
1: Yeah, uh, well, Signs is definitely a low-key ripoff of War of the Worlds. You know, again, in science fiction, ripping other people off is not an ultimate sin or anything. It happens all the time. But it's even dumber in science because in science, spoiler alert from the movie from even longer ago, the thing that kills the aliens is water. So these aliens invaded a planet that is covered 80 percent by material that kills them, where the material that kills them literally rains from the sky. So that they they were like, oh, man, I guess we missed all that water in our scanning.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we can travel intergalactically and span the universe, but we don't know how to detect water.
1: What's all that blue stuff on this planet? Shit, man, I don't know. (laughs) Who knows, dude? It's probably some beautiful crystals or something, dude. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. I think the reason this movie stays in people's minds and the reason I really wanted to bring it back and discuss it is that a lot of the themes that were introduced in this book are not only constantly... Rehashed by other directors, by other films, spinoffs, books that take huge amounts of influence from this one. And besides that, a lot of the themes are as relevant today as they were then, or more relevant today. Mm-hmm. The theme of people trying to subjugate others is just as problematic now as it was then. The major point I'd like to make is that we should listen to these books. When they have these messages and we should try to use those messages and the critiques of ourselves to better ourselves, to try to improve society. because 120 years later and we're still dealing with all these same problems. That's not good work, y'all. That's that's yeah. terrible work. Come on, guys, we could do better than that. And, uh, you know, it, yeah. me wagging my finger at the listener again.
0: <laughs> no, I think I think we're la- wagging our fingers at ourselves. Exactly. I know I need to remind myself of that. I need to be mindful of it. It's very easy for me to just live my white bread Amazon life and, and not give a shit about suffering around the globe.
1: Sometimes you're powerless to do anything about it. You know, when you were a British citizen in 1898, you had very little What did H. D. What could HG Wells do About Tasmania Well
0: he could raise awareness
1: And that's what he did And that's what You and I are trying to do And that's really All you can do Yeah That's what all of us
0: can do Is we can listen to this podcast Exactly Watch the news You talk to other people I mean we live in a
1: democracy Exactly and So at the
0: end of the day It's our responsibility It's not Mitch McConnell's Or Chuck Schumer's Or anything We are the ones that elect them.
1: Yes Yes That goes for myself That goes for Nick the Tooth That goes for all of you listeners So just remember remember Remember, man, existence comes with responsibility. Amen. You know what I mean? And try your best, man. See the problems and try to think of solutions. Don't just be passive. Don't just think of science fiction or any other thing you read as pure entertainment. Everything isn't meant just for entertainment. They're meant to try to solve the problems we have. And we've got a lot. So let's get to work, y'all. Come
0: on. Absolutely. All right. Well, on that note, I am uh, about to go to the mechanic, hopefully, and pick up the damn van and get back on the road. And once I get back on the road, I'm going to be updating Arc Zero, I haven't even touched that yet, and also posting a video tour of the van and showing awesome. where I go, awesome. and so yeah, I'm, I'm ready to get my, uh, my journey. Going so, dude. This has been so friggin' awesome, man. Yeah, I, man. I, I'm so grateful that you turned me on to War of the Worlds. I had no idea, man. It's been a, it's been really cool.
1: We'll decide what we do next. We haven't decided what the next episode's gonna be, but we'll let you guys know pretty soon on the Infinite Worlds Instagram or the Infinite Worlds newsletter or uh, Nick's personal Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Uh, find us online.
0: Big changes ahead for both of us, man. So <laughs> Totally,
1: absolutely. So stay tuned, okay? And also, this is going to be the first episode that has new production. We hired a new producer. Andrew Alonzo has produced this episode for us. So pickups to Andrew for sitting down and making it sound good.
0: Thank you, Andrew, man. We're so grateful, bro. All
1: right, man. Well, it's been a good one. We'll talk soon. All right, all right.
0: I hope you guys enjoyed War of the Worlds. That was super fun. Please make sure and follow us on Instagram and our other social media outlets. And don't forget to pick up issue four of Infinite Worlds magazine. I cannot wait to get my copy.
1: Coming your way soon, man.
0: Yeah. And follow me on Instagram to see what happens with the van because I'm sure there are going to be some crazy uh, adventures. Always are, right, Winston? Totally, man. Yeah, brother. All right, man. Thank you so much. Until next time. Adios.